Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Today we are wrapping up this series. I could have gone forever on this series. Uh, but uh, we are coming into the Christmas season. Uh, value your prayers uh, next Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I'm in Sydney with uh, Word of Life Church up there uh, celebrating uh, their 10th anniversary. I've been invited to be a guest for the weekend. And then on Sunday evening, I'm flying to the Philippines for three days to uh, spend with compassion uh, celebrating with them uh, as part of their 50th uh, anniversary celebrations of Compassion's presence and ministry in the Philippines. Uh, two of those three days are a conference with 450 pastors from all over the country. So really excited about that opportunity. And then uh, the third day is just a, a day of celebration. And uh, so value your prayers for that time away. Then uh, when I return from that week away, um, there will be... Uh, all steam ahead for Christmas, spectacular, and uh, all everything that is Christmas. So, who's feeling tired already? Yeah, all good. <laughs> yeah, the staff all puts their hand up. Uh, one of our key texts for this um, uh, this series uh, has been Paul's writings in Second Corinthians three and eighteen. And he says, and, "And we all who, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory." are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're looking at what, what, does, it, what does it mean to live a transformed life? How does God make that possible? And as we've been unpacking this, he does through his Holy Spirit, who indwells us at that moment of salvation. And so particularly over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some fairly familiar Christian uh, phraseology, things like um, receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, uh, those kinds of things. And, and friends, I can't stress enough the reason that God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit uh, is not primarily that we will walk around 24-7 with our heads in the clouds with this kind of feeling of constant feeling of elation with, um, you know, goosebumps going up and down your spine. Uh, if that happens, that's great. But that's not the primary reason God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. God fills us with his Holy Spirit so that you and I will be a source of life-giving water to others. He wants us to be people overflowing with the goodness of God, overflowing with the supernatural power of God. John 7 and 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Friends, God wants His church to be filled with people who have substance about them. 
Interestingly, Paul prays this great prayer for the church in Colossae, Colossians 1 and 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. There's a, a, a phrase that he employs in verse 10 where he says, I pray that you would live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, the word that we translate worthy in this context actually means weight. And I did look at this briefly earlier in the year in a different, in a different uh, message. So Paul is praying this prayer for the church and he's praying that their life would have substance, that their life would have a weight to them. Now, he's obviously not talking physically weight, physical weight. He's talking about spiritual influence. That, that God's people, their life would carry a weight. Their life would carry spiritual significance. Their life would have a great substance to them. That even when they walk into a room... The atmosphere changes. When weighty people enter a room, things change. When spiritually weighty people enter a room, the look on people's faces can even change. The conversation changes. People who carry a, a, a spiritual weight make an impact everywhere they go. And then when they leave, their presence is still remembered because they continue to impact people even after they're physically gone. And friends, if we are to acknowledge that God is a supernatural God as He is, then we must also acknowledge that His intent for you and I is that we would be supernatural people. Now don't get spooked by that phrase because a lot of people get turned off or a little bit intimidated by those kinds of concepts. Don't get frightened by the terminology. Let me break it down as simply as I can. It simply means to live as a, 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 somebody filled with the supernatural presence of God. Simply means that there is something about your life. Something that cannot be explained in the natural. Something that indicates and testifies to the fact that a supernatural God is doing something in us and through us. And that's why the day of Pentecost, as we read about in Acts chapter 2, is really important for us to understand if we're going to be a true New Testament church. Acts 1 verse 1, it begins like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now, when the writer speaks about his former book, he's talking about the book of Luke because Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts. We looked at that the other week. But notice his wording. He says, My first book is a record of all that Jesus 
began to do and to teach. Now, we don't give that a second thought, but it's really, really interesting. Because if you read Luke's gospel, his first book, it's kind of pretty neatly packaged. And it would seem to come to a natural conclusion. I mean, you've got his conception, his birth, his life, his miracles, his parables, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back to his father. And at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus has returned to heaven and is seated at the right hand of his father. Now, that's a pretty complete story. And yet, Luke explains it in this way. He says that first book is actually only about all that Jesus began to do. So if that's how he describes his first book, I would suggest his second book, the book of Acts, is a record of all that Jesus continues to do. Luke's second book has been called the Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. But I think Luke would probably take issue with that title. Now we understand today why it might be called the Acts of the Apostles. When you read it, some pretty impressive stuff that, goes, that happens in it. But are the, record, the records of everything that happened in the book of Acts, are they actually the Acts of of an apostle. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, this great miracle takes place uh, in the temple, and this lame man was healed. Now, Peter actually goes out of his way to deny that this is the act of an apostle, Acts 3 and 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Down to verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. And friends, it's really helpful for us to view the book of Acts as the continuing work of Jesus. Jesus is totally involved in every single thing that happens in the book of Acts. Now, some people have called the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And truth be told, that's probably a little bit closer to the mark. But I think the reality is that it is the acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. No question the apostles are involved. They are the vessels that the Holy Spirit uses, the vessels the Holy Spirit uses to continue the work of Jesus in the world. And here's the kicker today, it's us. Oh, you're all very quiet. Can I hear an amen? amen? Thank you. Because on the day of Pentecost, two things happened. First of all, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. That was number one on the day of Pentecost. The second thing that happened is that Jesus actually received a new body. 
And when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the disciples, they were baptised by the Holy Spirit and they became the body of Christ. Now, let me help you understand this. My finger is a part of my body. Which means that it is my life that inhabits my finger. And because my life inhabits my finger, what that finger does is an expression of my life and it's an expression of me. Now, if this finger comes and pokes you in the ribs, and I know this is a stretch because I would never do anything annoying to anybody. <laughs> but if my finger comes and pokes you in the ribs, you don't look at my finger and say, stop it, you naughty little finger. You say, Peter, cut it out. Because it is my life that inhabits my finger. Listen carefully. It is the life that inhabits the body that determines the behaviour of the body. And as we should know, the Church of Jesus is not an organisation. The Church of Jesus is an organism. It's a living thing. It is a body of which Jesus is the head. The Holy Spirit is the life and you and I are its members. I find this incredibly exciting. But one of the problems we have is over the course of history, the word church has been largely robbed of its meaning. Because to most people today, the word church immediately conjures up images of a building. And we say things like, well, where is your church? Or there's a church over there. And it's always regarding a building in a physical location. Somewhere where people turn up on a Sunday. It's got a cross on top. Well, we don't, but... And a sign out the front. But that is never, ever, ever the biblical usage of the term. In fact, for the first 300 years of church history, there were actually very few what we would know as church buildings. And in fact, some of the early leaders of the church uh, uh, were really dead against it because they said things like, if we build churches or if we build buildings and call them churches... Uh, we're going to somehow attach significance to a building which it should not have and somehow make it sacred. And interestingly, in a lot of areas, that's exactly what has happened. But the real meaning of church has nothing to do with a building. It has to do with a body. And on, uh, on that day of Pentecost... We see that people were added to their number. They were added to the church. And in Acts 5 and 14, reading from the King James, it says, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. They weren't added to a church building. They were added to the Lord. And friends, this is the key. And this is why the... Book of Acts is all about the continuing work of Jesus in his new body because on the day of Pentecost, the Father gave the Son a new body. And men and women and boys and girls who believed were brought into union with him. They were added to the Lord. That is the church. Can I hear an amen? 
The church is men and women and boys and girls who have been added to the Lord, who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit into Jesus. And if we don't think of the church in those terms, if we think of the church as a place where we meet, we're going to start getting ideas about the building itself in some way being sacred or sanctified. And we do things like calling buildings the house of God. And we say things like, well, we shouldn't do that in the house of God. Guys, bricks and mortar will never, ever be the house of God. And when we pray, we sometimes pray, Lord, as we come into your presence this morning, when we're walking into a building, Father, as we come into your presence, I pray that you would bless us, speak to us. Now, there's no question that there is something wonderful that happens as we corporately gather together for worship. There is a special awareness of his presence as we meet together. But if we think that when we are coming into a building, we're coming into the presence of God, the question is, well, what happens when we leave the building? Are we leaving the presence of God? And obviously the answer is no, that's not right. Because the church is not just about what happens on a Sunday as we meet together. And we're to never, ever confuse a building for the church, the church's people. So when we think of the church as this sacred place where we go, it then begins to compartmentalize our lives. So we say, well, that's the sacred part of my life and this is the secular part of my life. When I go to church, I'm entering into the presence of God and that's my sacred space. And then when I go out into the world, that's my secular space. Dangerous way to live our lives. The sacred part we enjoy on Sunday, but then tomorrow when we wake up to whatever our reality is, it's kind of like we're on our own. Here's a challenge. How about tomorrow morning when you go to your workplace, your school space, your study space, your home life, whatever life looks like for you on a Monday morning. Why don't we start the day by saying, God, it's so good to be here in your presence today. That's a healthy mindset. God, it's so good. Wherever I go, I'm in the presence of God and I carry the presence of God. And Father, today in your presence, your will be done in my life. And here's the great thing, that that's in the context of our everyday life, wherever we go, whatever we do. We're not talking about a church experience because we are the church. You see, if the early church actually turned their world upside down as they did, they didn't turn the world upside down in buildings. And friends, we're never going to turn the world upside down in this building. And in Acts chapter 8, when persecution broke out against the church, they were here in Jerusalem in one place, and then they suddenly found themselves scattered. And in Acts 8 and 4, it tells us, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. There's actually a great paraphrase of that verse that says, wherever they went, they gossiped the gospel. And I love that. So cool. 
Everywhere they went, they just gossiped the gospel. And what happened? The world got turned upside down. Not because they had special meetings, but because they gossiped the gospel. Because the church is men and women living their lives in union with Jesus. And friends, the most important thing I can say to you today is this. We can never ever live the Christian life, nor can you live a life of significance from God's perspective until we fully understand this one simple truth, and that's this, Jesus is alive. Amen? If there's one revelation that the church needs, it is Jesus is alive. There's one revelation you and I need, it is Jesus is alive. Friends, Jesus is alive. He's here today. And he is just as real as any one of us sitting in this building. We're not just here following the teachings of a dead prophet or a dead rabbi. It's not just that Jesus lived a long time ago and we followed the example he left for us. Friends, Jesus is alive and he lives within us by his Holy Spirit. And if you believe that he's alive, it absolutely radically changes everything. It means whatever crisis you might face in life, Jesus is alive. You might, something might just totally catch you off guard. It might be a diagnosis of an illness. Jesus is alive. Something that you never anticipated or planned, Jesus is alive. When some tragedy unexpectedly hits you, Jesus is alive. Paul makes his point in 1 Corinthians 15 and 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if we don't have a complete revelation of the fact that our Jesus is alive, then we're wasting our time. I'll say it again. Jesus is alive. He didn't just leave his teaching and say, now you're on your own. He gave us himself. And friends, as we look back with a 21st century perspective on the early days of the church, it would seem almost impossible to think that these men and women, in most cases without any formal education, without any kind of natural influence without any significant funding behind them certainly without any large kind of advertising or social media budget no big publicity machine it would seem impossible from a 21st century perspective that they could actually turn anything upside down but they turned the world upside down it might seem impossible to us looking purely from a natural perspective. It might seem impossible to us because in our 21st century world, we've actually come to rely upon all of those things, wealth and power and influence and big media campaigns. That's what puts a stake in the ground. What we should be relying upon totally is the fact that Jesus is alive and he's still building his church. Because what the church has that is unique is not our clever programs. It's not our big production and our entertaining meetings 
And, and let me remind you that the world has all of those things and is far better at it than the church is. We don't need to compete with the world for entertainment value. Can I hear an amen? What the church has that is unique is Jesus. And Jesus is alive. That is what set the early church on fire. Maybe we've become a little bit too familiar or comfortable with that. But this is the revelation that came to this small group of disciples gathered together on the day of Pentecost. Jesus is alive. And the work that he began, he now continues through you and through me by his Holy Spirit living through you and through me, empowering us to be the church, empowering us to be Jesus to the world. Because right through history, there has always been two competing mindsets that have shaped people within the church. And the first one is this, that my Christian life is all about what I do for God. And the contrasting mindset is that the Christian life is all about what God do, does through us. Interestingly, several times, Paul, when he set off on his missionary journeys, seeing the church planted through many regions, and he would come back and he would always give a report. And you find this familiar theme, Acts 14, 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. And his report was always what God had done through them. Acts 15 and 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Acts 21 and 19, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Romans 15 and 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished through me. It's always God through them, God through them, Jesus through them, Jesus through them. This is a reoccurring theme right through the book of Acts. And friends, if we are to achieve anything of a significance for God, if we are to bear fruit, we are, we've got to understand just as it was God through Jesus for the three years of his ministry on the face of the earth, now it is the continuing work of Jesus, God by his Holy Spirit, Christ through us. They didn't come back and report all that we did for God. Look at what we did for God. Absolutely awesome, aren't we good? They always reported what God had done through them. And the cool thing about that is it actually takes the pressure off. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we have to do. We just rest in His strength. We walk in obedience. Rest in His strength Walk in obedience because there will be times that we will struggle. There will be opposition. It's bound to happen. In fact, we're, we're warned that it would happen. But we just say, God, it's not about me. This is about you through me. It's your work, the continuing work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through me. And friends, the greatest need in the church today is not how we practically apply the principles of Jesus. And that can be a pretty common thing in some churches. Let's just look at the principles of Jesus and know how to apply those in our day-to-day -day life. 
Friends, as you read through the book of Acts, we discover the greatest need in the church is to know how to release the life of Jesus by his Holy Spirit in and through us. Because there are so many things in the book of Acts that simply cannot be orchestrated by the cleverest people on the face of the earth. You can't orchestrate them, you can't manufacture them. It's got nothing to do with what human beings do. It's always what God did. And as the team comes back this morning as we close, my prayer for us as a church, my prayer for you personally, my prayer for me, is that we would be men and women, we'd be a congregation of people whose lives as we leave here and as we go out into the presence of God, carrying with us the presence of God, that there will be something about our lives that is inexplicable apart from the fact that God is doing something and Jesus is alive. Things that you cannot explain in terms of training or personality or skills. All of those things are great. They're all necessary. But there comes a time in our, in our walk with Jesus where we stop, we pause, we stand back and say, man, there's only one explanation. That God is alive. Jesus Christ is alive and he is at work. And there's a great old song. I actually posted a version of it in the online service. Which says, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And I pray that we would walk daily in that experience. And try that tomorrow morning. Just wake up and say, God, so good today to be in your presence. And carry that with you through your day. Let's pray. Father, may that be our prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fill me. Use me for your glory. I pray that we would know that, not just when we gather corporately, but that we would know that individually, we would know it personally. That we would be men and women, young people, who know what it means to live in the energy and the power and the strength and the assurance of the Holy Spirit of God. That the life of Jesus that continuing work of Jesus that Luke writes about in the book of Acts would be a work that continues in us because the story is not finished. We are that new body of Jesus. We are the continuing work of Jesus, the vessels that Jesus chooses to use, the vessel that God works through by His Holy Spirit. 